Amen. Well, it has been a long time since I have been able to pour out my heart like that in worship. It's uh, something to be said for uh, leading worship. Uh, you got your mind on a lot of things, and sometimes it's just really good to be freed up to just worship God. So thank you, Abby, for leading us this morning. If you're new here, my name is Connor Ford, and I'm the worship pastor here at Go Church. I don't usually preach, but we were due for a little bit of a switcheroo today. But before we even get started, I just want to start by saying I am not here because I like to be in front of people or because I like to be on stage in any way. Um, actually, my life seems to be one big story of me just continuing to push myself out of my comfort zone um, as an introvert, as God calls me out to do, to do ministry for him, him. So here I am again today. <laughs> but before we get started, let's go ahead and, and pray. God, I just pray that you would uh, just speak today, that it would be you speaking, that you would do great work today, um, that your word would be preached, <laughs> that you would use me, um, a humble vessel, um, someone who's been saved by your blood and redeemed by your grace, Lord. I am not worthy <laughs> except because of the cross, Lord. So thank you for that this morning. And I just pray that um, we would all be able to take something, uh, take something out of this that we can apply this week. Amen. So it's going to be a big shocker today that my, uh, my sermon, the topic today is actually worship. <laughs> but really, what, what is worship? I mean, have you ever really thought about it? We, we use the, the term worship all the time just as Christians and just talking to each other and throwing it around as a word, but have we ever really thought about what it really, what it really means? Because there's a lot of um, different definitions, if you will, being thrown around um, in the church and among Christians. I mean, have you ever heard that uh, worship is everything you do or how we live life, or maybe worship is giving financially or being sacrificial or just being Christ-like. And I do understand the truth behind these messages, but I believe we've watered down the definition of worship until people are just kind of genuinely confused. What, what is it? So today, before we talk about how to worship, which is really where I want to end up and spend the bulk of our time, I feel like we need to get to the bottom of what it actually is. So let me give you what I believe is a biblical definition, and then we can work through unpacking it with Scripture. Now, for our purposes today, I'll be focusing in on how we worship together as a church, but please know that everything I'm about to say applies to your personal worship as well. So here it is. Here is a biblical definition of worship. Worship is the act of receiving, reciprocating, and representing the love of Jesus. For those of you filling in the blanks one more time, Worship is the act of receiving, reciprocating, and representing the love of Jesus. Now, if I were you, I'd be thinking, okay, that's great. That's, uh, that's a great sentence. But where does that come from? Does that just come from something you thought about this week? Or does that come from God's Word? And you're right to think that way because God's Word is our cornerstone. It's our foundation. It's where we need to turn to discover truth. So without further hesitation, let's dive into the Bible and see if it supports uh, the, and agrees with the definition I've given. So first, biblical worship starts with receiving the love of Jesus. 1 John 4.19 says we love because God first loved us. Romans 5.8 says God proved his love for us in this way, that while we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Now, Jesus loved each and every one of us when we could have cared less about him. I mean, that's the reality. He thought of you, mapped out your life, and made a way for you to be in relationship with him before you even took your first breath. The truth I'm communicating is really at the core of the gospel, but what I want you to see today is that it's also foundational to how we worship God. Because the truth is, you can try to love God with all your might. You can just muster up feelings of love for God during worship and the songs that we sing. Um, But if you don't start by actively receiving the love that Jesus has already shown you, then you're going to come up empty and uh, fruitless every single time. And that's why the first part of biblical worship is receiving the love of Jesus. Now, I don't have time to exhaustively cover what the Bible has to say on this, but please look at every example of worship in the Bible, and you'll find the simple truth over and over again. Worship starts with receiving the gift of love that God has already given. If you're just trying to give yourself to God without acknowledging what he's done for you, good luck with that. Second, if you've received the love of Jesus, reciprocate. Simply put, reciprocating is to give back in the same way you received. Psalm 63, 3-4 says, My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. At your name, I will lift up my hands. Instantly, we can identify two ways within that, that passage about expressing love back to Jesus. Singing and lifting up your hands. I will glorify your lips and lifting up your hands. And also notice how these actions are clearly a response to the faithful love of God, as we talked about in the first point, receiving the love of Jesus. The command to sing is all over the Bible, and contrary to popular belief, uh, hand-raising wasn't admitted by the Charismatics. (laughs) The Old and New Testament both contain examples of people raising their hands as a good way to express love back to God in worship. Now, I don't have time today to go into it again because really the focus today will be how to worship. But if you're interested, when you get back home, check out 1 Timothy 2.8 or the passage we just covered. But really, I want to tell a story today that speaks to the importance of reciprocating in worship, or that is to give back in the same way that you received. So in the fall of my junior year of high school, I started dating the love of my life, Caroline. And after our first date... Uh, it may come as a shock to you, but I was already ready to get married. I was ready to go. And uh, my parents, being the loving and wonderful parents that they are, sat me down and said, look, you might want to wait until you graduate high school. (laughs) So that's the only thing I remember. The funny thing is that's the only thing I remember from that whole conversation is holding on to, okay, so they said I could do it after graduating high school. So I started planning. And when I graduated high school, I'm sure that most of the other kids were like, they were getting ready for trade school or college or, you know, freedom from their parents, a new life. But really, that wasn't really on my mind. There was one thing on my mind. That was Mary and Caroline. (laughs) So my birthday was on June 28th, and I devised a plan. Now, raise your hand if you have ever been to Beacon Rock. Okay. Lots of you, yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful hike. It's a, it's a beautiful place. The plan was that Caroline and I would go to Beacon Rock for my birthday. And then I would surprise her at the top with a proposal. So it was all like veiled and surprised. But the problem was that that plan worked a little bit too well. Because when we arrived in my 2001 Ford Sport Track, 
Caroline was so excited to give me a birthday gift. I mean, she was just really focused on that. She had no idea. She had no idea what I was thinking about. And man, my heart was racing. Sweat was just pouring down. And she, she got out this gift. And it was, <laughs> it was no ordinary gift. It was a handmade picture frame with a sentimental picture in it and like a verse on the back that we both loved. And my mind was totally preoccupied when she got that thing out. And she was talking about And I was like, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think I said something like, thanks. And then I, and she, she tells me that I handed it back to her. <laughs> and then I got out of the truck. And luckily, she, did, she didn't say, hey, we, we need to talk right then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I proceeded to go up the mountain. I popped the question. And uh, it's something we've laughed about ever since. But the reason I wanted to share that story is because it highlights the necessity of a response to love and action. Caroline gave me her heart. I mean, anyone can tell you that my response was less than adequate. <laughs> so here's my, where I'm going with this. Every Sunday morning, we have a chance to express love back to God in worship. And I'm pretty sure what he gave us is pretty important. It's pretty sentimental. I mean, he, he's given us his love by dying on the cross and rising again, creating us the things our songs talk about. But the choice is yours, how you respond to that in worship. Are you going to give back in the same way you received? Are you just going to kind of shrug and say, thanks? <laughs> Third, biblical worship is representing the love of Jesus. If you already received the love of Jesus and you've given it back, then you're ready to show both the church and the lost what you've been shown. First John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love is from God. And this is far from the only verse that communicates the concept that we love one another in direct relation to the fact that God loved us first and we love him back. However, I don't want to take this out of context or what it doesn't mean. John is really talking about the church loving the church in this particular passage. It's, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love is from God. Dear friends, writing to the church, love one another. So the first part of representing the love of Jesus in worship is just loving each other. That, that's important. We need to do that. Um, but the Bible also has a lot to say about how we will witness to the outside world with our love. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This passage really captures uh, everything about representing the love of Jesus. I mean, first, notice once more where the love is coming from. It's coming from Jesus and how he's loved us. And who do we love? Both believers and everyone else in the world. See, real and biblical worship should be visible to the outside world. It's, it should be a truly special thing. And if biblical worship is about sharing that love uh, with others in the church and the unbelieving world, then it should be about sharing uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> if true and biblical worship is about receiving the love of Jesus and giving it back, then it should really be about sharing with each other in the world. And the love of God is not really like a stagnant swamp or uh, just kind of a pool of water that doesn't go anywhere with no outlet. It's not like we're just receiving the love of God and giving it back to him and then it's not flowing out of us and it just stops there. But it's more like a spring-fed river that flows into the ocean. I mean, what happens in the worship service 
really shouldn't stay in the worship service. It should propel us forward into the mission of God. And that's why the third part of biblical worship is representing the love of Jesus, because it's supposed to be put on display for the world to see. So, let's review. What is worship? Worship is the act of receiving, reciprocating, and representing the love of Jesus. And I, drew, I do truly hope you get something out of that today, but I'm not content with simply giving you a biblical definition um, because you see this definition that I've shared is actually my vision um, for what I want to see happen in this church. It's the end goal. It's where I truly believe God wants to see happen at Go Church. And while we're certainly on the way there, we still have a long ways to go. So the hard question is, how do we get there? How do we become a church that receives, reciprocates, and represents the love of Jesus in worship? That's the question I'm going to focus on today from God's Word. Now, when it comes to worship, I believe there's something that gets in the way of what God wants to do in us. There's a wall that keeps the vision from coming to fruition. And maybe you think I'm going to say Satan or sin or something like that, but I'm going to address a subtle enemy today, an enemy that is 100% within our power to control, ourselves. We've got, a, we've got a heart problem. And if we don't take some steps to get things right on the inside, we aren't going to worship like God wants us to. That's why I'm calling this sermon Biblical Worship for Dummies. Because frankly, we're all a little bit confused about worship. And we could use a how-to plan from God and His Word. So here's a simple three-step plan. First, we must be thirsty. Second, we must be spiritual. And third, we must be true. Now, in this country, we really don't experience thirst. There are multiple faucets just about everywhere you go. You can get unending amounts of good, clean water at the touch of a button or the crank of a handle. Um, you got bottled water, not to mention all the other ways uh, you can stay hydrated. I mean, the coffee places, it's ridiculous here. Absolutely ridiculous. Or if you don't like coffee, Taco Bell, Rose Hours, Costco, you can go over to your neighbor's house and tap the faucet. I'm sure you can siphon some water out of there. I mean, you can stay hydrated. And my point is, we're really out of touch with, with what it means to thirst. So imagine going about a normal day without water or anything to drink for the entire day, not even coffee. What would you be thinking about when you drove home from work? I mean, what would you be feeling as you pulled into your house? I'm willing to bet you probably wouldn't sit down and turn on the game. Um, you probably wouldn't even stop to have a conversation with your, your, your spouse. Uh, you'd probably just run in as fast as you could just to get a drink of something. And you'd be desperate and solely fixated on one thing, quenching your thirst. That's the kind of thirst God's Word talks about in His Word. Psalm 42, 1 through 2 says, As a deer pants, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you. God, I thirst for God, the living God. In Psalm 143.6, David prayed, I spread out my hands to you. I'm like a parched land before you. Church, if we want to worship biblically, we're going to have to get thirsty. We need to long for God and seek for Him with all of our hearts. We need to see what we are missing inside and long for God to fill it. That's what it means to be thirsty in worship. But there's a problem, isn't there? Because so much of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, we know we aren't thirsty. <laughs> we're just kidding ourselves. And it's the same reason we're out of touch with our true physical thirst is the reason we're out of touch with our spiritual thirst. We're already quenched. 
So today I have a bottle of Coke and a bottle of water. Now don't worry, unlike other pastors here, my dad, I won't be dropping any Mentos in here. There will be no explosions today. <laughs> but um, we have a bottle of Coke and a bottle of water. Now this, this bottle of water is really nothing special at all. There's, there's no taste. There's really no sensation or carbonation. Um, the labeling is even kind of like last, lackluster, refreshy. I mean, that's a terrible name. Um, it's just, <laughs> just boring. White cap, um, just boring, boring old water. And then we have a beautiful Coke. Now, if you don't like Coke, just picture the soda of your choice, and that will work. But it tastes great. The carbonation is fun. You know, there's sugar and caffeine that kind of get you amped up. Um, this, is, this is the drink you have with tacos. This is the drink you have with pizzas or, like, something fun to eat. And, I mean, even the, that, that labeling is just Coke. It's like, bam. So it's great to have a Coke every once in a while, but if you start replacing it with water, that's when you start to develop some problems. Suddenly your waistline gets bigger, your body is addicted to the energy spikes, your teeth yellow and decay, your stomach lining takes a hit from the acid, which can cause unwanted belching around your spouse. But the, uh, the main point that I want you to see is that you forget that your body still needs water because Coke fills your stomach while dehydrating you because it's diuretic. It actually numbs you to thirst. Here's how that, here's how that connects to worship. Monday through Saturday, we try to meet our need for worship with other things and other people. Coke. And by the time Sunday rolls around, we've already lulled ourselves into a false sense of satisfaction, when in reality, we're all the more desperate for God to do what only God can do. My point is, if you really want to be thirsty in worship, then you're going to have to stop filling your spiritual kidneys with Coke long enough to start craving living water again. Let's make this a little more personal. When it comes to your own attitude on Sunday morning, are you longing for God to fill you? Are you seeking for him to reveal himself and his heart to you? Or are you just sort of checking off a box? <laughs> Your answer to that question is, re- is very revealing because you should be able to tell whether or not you have an idolatry problem or not. Are you bloated with Coke? Are you just filling your needs with what the world says you should fill your needs with throughout the week? Satisfying your desires Are you staying thirsty instead for what your soul really needs? Biblical worship isn't possible if we aren't thirsty. The second step we need to take is to be spiritual. Now, I know this sounds super churchy in general, but you'll see what I mean in a second. I I mean, I've noticed with other Christians um, simply saying the word spiritual, some of us tend to think that we can be more spiritual if we say it. Um, That's really not where I'm going with this. Or, you know, like in the world... um, The word spiritual can mean all sorts of things, Um, definitely not biblical things. That is not where I'm headed again. I get the word spiritual from John 4, 19 through 24. This is the famous passage where Jesus stops to talk with a Samaritan woman at the well. After Jesus reveals to her that he is quite special and knows about her sin problem without even knowing her, uh, she answers him in verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. But we worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. There's a lot to explain here, but for our purposes today, I really want to focus in on the last two sentences. Many of us know these words by heart. Jesus said that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For now, we're going to hone in on the word spirit, and later uh, we'll go back to the word truth. But have you ever really wondered what the word spirit means here? I mean, again, this is something that we just kind of throw around. We know we should worship in spirit and in truth, but is it just kind of a general vague knowing, or do we actually know what that means? And I'm not going to go for um, just one definition. I don't think it, it only means one thing or that Jesus was trying to communicate that it only means one thing. I think he had a few ideas in mind, one of which could certainly be that the Holy Spirit is inside of believers. However, I, I want to dig into one particular meaning that I think we often miss. Let's take another look at the Samaritan woman and what she said. Now, the Samaritans were absolutely hated by the Jews. <laughs> they believed in a melting pot of mixed-up ideas uh, about God, and about the God of the Bible. Uh, if, they, if they owned a car, they would have a, a bumper sticker that said, coexist. I mean, for sure. <laughs> this is why the Samaritan woman asked Jesus about the correct place to worship. She had already acknowledged Jesus as a prophet. She knew the debate and the confusion, and she wanted to ask an authority what he thought. It was a simple multiple choice question. Where is the correct place to worship? A, Jerusalem. B, Samaria. Circle one, Jesus. In typical fashion, Jesus, not being the, the hugest fan of standardized testing, um, created his own answer. D, none of the above. And then he went on to basically say, yeah, that question is completely irrelevant now. <laughs> and students, please don't try this at school. Jesus is the son of God. It's a little different for him. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we need to notice that Jesus doesn't answer the woman with a place to worship. He doesn't do that. Because that would mean that true worship depended on physical realities, which was true under the Old Covenant. Remember the tabernacle and the temple, uh, maybe the Ark of the Covenant? These were places, the Bible says, the Spirit of God rested. But Jesus was ushering in something new. He was ushering in the New Covenant. This is why Jesus used the word Spirit. Because He was declaring that worship is now completely a matter of the heart and soul toward God. The reality is that the Samaritan, woman, the Samaritan woman's understanding about worship is often our own. I mean, we know that we can worship anywhere with anyone, but do we really believe it in practice? Because I think the truth is that we tend to let physical realities determine the quality of our worship, not spiritual ones. Everything from song choices to the position of our seats, from slow-moving slides to the off-key singer behind us belting it out. The crazy thing is our attitude can be anything but spiritual in worship. Now, don't hear me wrong. Many of these things are important. The aim of the worship AV set up and tear down teams is to do everything with excellence so that we can make worship as easy as possible for this church. But don't miss my point either. Jesus didn't say that the true worshipers would worship unless the songs were their favorite. He didn't say that the true worshipers would worship unless the sound was too loud or too quiet. No, he said the true worshipers would worship in spirit. And we need to learn from that. 
Because we can either worship in spirit or we can worry about material and physical things. But we really can't do both. If you remember to be thirsty and spiritual in worship, the third step comes a lot more naturally. The third step of biblical worship is to be true. Jesus said that the true worshipers would worship in spirit and in truth. In Psalm 15, David accurately explained what it takes to be intimate with God and worship. In verses 1 through 2, it says, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. How about you? Do you acknowledge the truth in your heart when you worship? Or do you suppress it? We could take this a variety of different directions, but for today I'll hone in on two different ways that we can be true in worship. Number one, confess. When we take communion as a church, we focus on making sure we've been honest before God about our sin. And that's very biblical, and it ensures that we proclaim the Lord's death in a pleasing way to God. But when it comes to our regular Sunday morning service, in that respect, it really shouldn't be any different. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, you're not going to be able to worship. Instead, you'll be hiding behind a spiritual wall of your own making, and God will be calling out to you as he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Where are you? After David's sin with Bathsheba, he wrote these beautiful words in Psalm 51, 2-17, that model confession and worship. It says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, and you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins. Blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of my salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And here's where we really need to focus in. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. Sometimes the only way we can really worship God is by confessing our own sin before him. To tell him he's right and you're wrong. David knew God wouldn't accept the traditional offerings and the normal way to worship him with all this sin going on. So David gave God a broken and repentant heart as his offering a praise instead. Sometimes that's exactly what we should do. When you're reading the words for the songs and you're singing with us, pour it out. Confess to God. Don't just push it aside and not address it. You can worship God by confessing to Him. The second way to be true in worship is to express. 
want to share a story about this real quick. Um, something that I carry with me, um, I've carried with me throughout my life. But really, this is, the story is what inspired me to really become a worship leader. It was a milestone. You know, in my church, a lot of really amazing things happened at our youth camps. Um, thank you, James, for continuing to do youth camp. A lot of special and wonderful things. God, God is at youth camp, okay? <laughs> um, but I, I, I was called to the ministry at youth camp. But anyway, my first youth camp before that, I, I remember bringing a friend along. And this is probably my best friend. But even at, I think I was 12, um, I remember thinking... I think my friend's saved, I, I, I'm pretty sure, but I just, I want to see him grow. I want to see him get closer to God. I feel like there's just a wall. So I brought him along, and, um, you know, day after day, there was just incredible worship time with God. Um, we were just singing our guts out. Um, every night there was um, just a message that was really convicting. It was just an incredible time with God, and I remember the last the last night just thinking about him, thinking about him during the week, and just seeing him sit over in a seat, unmoved, um, unresponsive, kind of just eyes glazed over. Um, and uh, I remember the last night, and the worship leader had set up a, a cross on the stage, and you could go and you could nail your sin to the cross. And it was just another way to express um, to God. And Again, I was just looking over at him, waiting, just praying to God, God, would you just break through to him? Um, and I remember the feeling I had when I saw him just get up, weep, um, lift up his hands, sing. <laughs> he hadn't done it all week. Because of the walls that he put up, because of his reputation, because of what he was worried about, he just wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't give his heart to God fully. That's what I mean by expressing. So what about you? Have you ever stopped yourself short of raising a hand or getting on your knees in worship because of what others might think? Have you ever held back from singing because everyone else is quiet? In those moments, are you being true in worship? I know this goes the other way too. If you're raising your hands and you don't mean it, mean it and you're singing mindlessly or you're turning your attention to yourself by doing something distracting, that's certainly not uh, being true in worship either. But for Go Church, I really don't think that's, that's an issue. I mean, I, really, I haven't seen as of yet anybody lift up their chair, start dancing around and, you know, um, doing cartwheels across the sanctuary. Um, I haven't seen that yet. I, I think... I think the issue for this room would be failing to express sometimes. <laughs> the question to ask yourself is, do I let myself express my love to God in worship, or is something that isn't God holding me back? I mean, are you going to be like my friend was all week, and just cold, unresponsive? Are you going to let that go and really give it your all toward God? So there's two ways that we can be true in worship. One, if there's sin in your life, you'll need to confess. And two, when you take in the love of Jesus, you need to express. 
Let me remind you of what I shared at the beginning. Biblical worship is the act of receiving, reciprocating, and representing the love of Jesus. That's really what I believe God wants to see in our worship at Go Church. But we'll never really get there if we don't remember the actual steps it takes to make it happen. So first, be thirsty. Remember what David and the psalmist wrote about being a partial in before God about panning for him as a deer pants for water. They saw their need for worship accurately. Don't let idols keep you from doing the same. Second, be spiritual. True worshipers worship in spirit, and that means they don't let temporal human circumstances get in the way. And third, be true by confessing and expressing. Now, the sermon today was really obviously toward believers and those who already believe in Jesus, but maybe there's someone here today who doesn't believe. And if that's you, I really am glad you're here because showing you how much Jesus loves you is really the end goal of worship anyway. Jesus didn't say you're supposed to know the church by our self-righteousness or our hypocrisy. He said you're supposed to know us by our love because our love is supposed to represent his love for you. Let me go back to the first part of biblical worship. Receiving the love of Jesus. Have you ever really done that? Have you ever received the love of Jesus? Have you ever accepted and acknowledged it? Or you just kind of know about it vaguely? It's really where it all begins. Jesus died for you, but maybe you're wondering why. Why did he die for me? Well, Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. So quite literally... Jesus died in your place because of your sin. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Listen, we worship Jesus because no matter what we've done, his sacrifice has paid the price for our sin. Jesus, a perfect and holy God, loved you enough to do your part for you. And then he defeated death by rising from the grave and promising eternal life. The churchy word for that is salvation. And it simply means Jesus paid the price for you so that instead of eternal judgment and death in a place called hell, Jesus promises you life both here on earth and in eternity in heaven. But much like worship, there's still something for you to do. Because maybe you believe in what Jesus did for you, but if you've never responded to that personally, then everything is sort of half-cooked. Maybe today Jesus is asking you to respond. Maybe today, maybe today he's asking you to love him back, to reciprocate. <laughs> Go ahead and bow your heads in prayer with me. And if you're ready to do that today, then pray something like this in your heart to Jesus. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and raising again. Thank you for taking my place and paying my price on the cross. Lord, I know that I've never really believed up until this point fully, but I'm ready to place all of my trust and all of my faith in you. 100%. To reciprocate, to give back in the same way you gave to me. Lord, I'm saying I love you back today. And I'm going to give my life to you. And I commit my spirit to you. And for the rest of us here, 
Lord, help us in our worship. Help us to be thirsty. Help us to be spiritual. Help us to be true. Lord, help us to take the steps. Lord, and ultimately I pray that your presence would continue to rest on Go Church as we gather and worship together, that you would continue to be with us and that you would continue to receive our praise and inhabit them as your word says you do. And Lord, just thank you for this beautiful day. And amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.